0: Hello, friends. You know, I do consider you friends. I hope you know that. I have friends here on Facebook. How many of you are on Facebook with me? Yeah, isn't that fun? Did you see the thing about the septic tank? That's brand new this morning. But before I talk about the septic tank, I want to talk about Pastor Jack. There's not, no connection there. But, you know, as he was leading us in communion, I was thinking of two words. What I like about the guy, he's articulate but he's simple. Now, not simple in a bad way, simple in a good way. You find somebody who's articulate and somebody who's simple. They make it simple. You know, God's plan for our life is a lot simpler than some of us make it out to be. And I always like coming here. I've told it so many times. For those visitors, you know, they asked me to come and speak on this weekend. I don't know how about ten years ago. I don't know how long it's been. But I thought I was helping out some pastor who was trying to get away from the flock who he is sick of. And uh, that wasn't the case. The first time I came here, and I looked down there, and there's Pastor Jack, and I thought, what's that all about? Well, they kept asking me back, so here it is. I don't know, how many, like I say, how many years they've been here, but this has always been an interesting weekend because, as you have your picnic or reunion, as Pastor Don was talking about, uh, we have a house full of people. We have five kids to begin with, which just makes life interesting, okay? So our cottage is full. I could put the no vacancy sign out there, and yet we have 24 more people coming this afternoon. Well, as Satan ordained it, um, the septic tank went on the fridge yesterday. And so I called the guy, and it's only $269 to pump out a septic tank, okay? But when you want him to come on July 4th weekend, all of a sudden it's $513. And that includes me, and I'm old, shoveling. How many of you have septic tanks? So you know what I'm talking about? And you got to shovel, you know, all the dirt off to get to the three things you got to lift up to do everything you have to do. When they lifted that first thing up, you see the, uh, <laughs> what do they call it? I think it's the crust. And it reminded me. Now, when was the last time someone spoke on this subject? Did he refer? (laughs) But it clearly reminded me that none of us are better than the other. And my son in law, Dennis, I call him my son. He's my son in law. I married my daughter, Chrissy. He's one of these guys that wakes up in the morning with every hair in place, okay? He's just one of these perfect guys. He looks perfect in the morning, perfect at noon, perfect at night. I'm always telling him he's primping. I say, hey, you've been primping too long because he always looks great. And there he is in the doo-doo water (laughs) shoveling alongside of his 67-year-old father-in-law. Reminds us that none of us is better than the other. Paul's letter to the Romans, or in Romans 3.23, is Italians, you know, Italians. I love to talk about Italians. I grew up, how many of you Italian? Any Italians with you? Great people. I grew up with you in Buffalo, New York. And uh, he says, each of us have sinned, and each of us have what? Fallen short of the glory of God. And lots of times people walk around like they're just a step or two better than the rest of us. There's some, something funny about that, isn't there? So anyway, let's see. I want to give you a little update on the Lehman family. We've got another wedding coming uh, later on this uh, summer. Uh, my son, Kevin, who's a comedy writer for Ellen, just won his uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth Emmy last two weekends ago. And we got a chance to see him on national TV. That's fun because they, they, they split that up into two things, and they have, a, they have one that's not nationally televised, And he got two at that one, then he got another one at the nationally televised one. But at one of them, he had to give an acceptance speech. He's such a great kid. He gets up and he says, among other things, he's looking forward to the day he gets to meet Alan. Well, he's the head writer. Obviously, he's uh, met her. But uh, he's got a a great sense of humor. Our grandchildren are getting bigger. My wife still loves me. Uh, We've been married uh, August 5th 44 years uh, in a row. And uh, and uh, disturbing uh, as it is for our children to hear this, we still do it. but but you slow down. those of you, no seriously, you, you slow down. We're down to four or five times a week now, so. It's just something you have to accept about life, friends. You know, I've written 40 books. 40. 4 That's a lot of books. That's probably 38 more books than the world needed from me. But, you know, the Lord is so good. He keeps giving me ideas. And I wrote Have a New Kid by Friday, New York Times bestseller. I mean, that sucker continues to sell. Uh, I could be dead when it goes to paperback. You know what I'm saying? And then Have a New Husband by Friday. And I love that book. That book was probably one of the most fun books I ever got a chance to write. And by the way, ladies, that is not a cash for clunkers program. <laughs> We're not talking about ch- dumping your husband and getting yourself a new one. We're talking about understanding him. And he's, a, he's the simple one. You're the complicated one. That's the, that's the book that I say, think of your husband as a four-year-old that shaves. <laughs> he's not the wordsmith that you are. And then Have a New You by Friday. And, you know, Have a New You by Friday, I'm really surprised at how many people apparently want to be something different than what they are. I'm surprised at the success of the book is what I'm saying. In September 1, we're releasing Have a New Teenager by Friday. So I got hung up on Fridays. And I was just telling Jack, behind that book that comes out in September, there's two books that are already done. So I'm always like... Three books ahead of where the marketplace is. But this book, Have a New You by Friday, is one I'd like to try to share with you some salient points about this morning. And in in many ways, people have always said, you're always so personal with us. Well, wasn't Jesus personal? seems to me that, you know, they tried to, to keep the little kids away from him. What did he say? He said, no, bring those little suckers over here. I want to talk with them. You look it up, it says exactly that. But, you know, the, the, I've, always, I've always enjoyed people who are personal. And, and, and that's why I commented about Jack. Jack can get up Pastor. You guys are so lucky to have a pastor like them. I'll remind you, be good to your pastors, okay? Lots of times we dog our pastor. It's not easy being a pastor. Everybody wants to put you up on a pedestal. He'd be the first guy to tell you, I don't belong on a pedestal. Be good to your pastors. Be good to your leadership in your church. You've got volunteers in this church that make this church go. So don't get yourself a little higher on the important chain than it needs to be. But I want to start with a letter. It's a letter that was written to my mom and dad, okay? Now, some of you know my story, some of you don't. And uh, rather than bore you with a whole letter, I'll just pull out a, a couple of paragraphs, and this is from North Park College in Chicago, Illinois. Now, I graduated from Williamsville High School outside of Buffalo and I graduated fourth in my class. Unfortunately, it was fourth in the bottom and not fourth in the top. (laughs) So when it came time to go on to college, I had a few problems getting in. But here's a couple of paragraphs. Uh, Presently, we are granting admission to students who rank in the upper one half of their high school class. Students in the lower half, whose records show strong improvement in their junior and senior year, and whose test dates are encouraging or test data, it's so small print I have a hard time reading it, test data are encouraging will be acted upon after the final semester's grades are received. Most regrettably, Kevin's record does not support admission. Rather therefore than grant him a probationary semester in which our studies show he would likely be unsuccessful, I must decline his application. However if he should begin his college program in some other school uh, and earn a C average for the first 15 hours, I'll be glad to review his application." Hmm. Well, when that letter came, I ripped it open. And I read it. And I called my older brother, Jack. I said, Jack, I'm in. He said, what do you mean? I said, I got in college. He said, you did? Read it to me. I read him the whole letter. He said, you're not in stupid. They don't want you. (laughs) I point that out, that that's how dumb of a kid I was. I got thrown out of Cub Scouts. It's hard to get thrown out of Cub Scouts. I got sent home from school in fourth grade for a day. I got thrown out of uh, college. So there's a story there, isn't there? This school that wrote me that letter finally relented nine days before the semester started. And they let me in on probation with a 12-unit load that says, you take these 12 units, you get a C average or better, you can stay. Well, proof of the living God, okay? And this is the interesting part, because I didn't know God then. I thought God was some distant old person up there who looked after you once in a while. i never met Jesus until almost before my 22nd birthday. So I pull out the C average, I make it. I was a baseball player, went back to play baseball primarily in my sophomore year in Chicago, and then I ripped off the conscience fund, which is a long story we don't have time to go into, and they, throw me out of, they threw me out of school the dean of students threw me out of school. You don't think God has a marvelous sense of humor? A marvelous sense of humor. For 10 years of my life, guess what I did? I was a dean of students. (laughs) At the University of Arizona in Tucson. That's a school of 37,000 students. I was the guy to handle the code of conduct. All these little freshmen come in and try to lie to me. I'm sitting there thinking, kid, if you only knew who you were talking to... (laughs) You would never go there. You would never go there. But something happened along that way. You know, we sang those words this morning, how amazed I am of your love. You know, God loved us. I almost brought my iPod here this morning, but I thought I'd embarrass myself if I turned it on and let you listen to what I listened to. Because if I had my iPod right here, and just held it up. We wouldn't hear a thing, would we? Until I what? Flip the switch. That's how it is with God. In the book of James, it says, you know what? you got to move toward God. want to feel close to God. I mean, if God doesn't feel close this morning to you, I would ask you, who moved? It wasn't God. So long before I knew him, I looked back at all the antics that I did as a kid. One of my early childhood memories, my mother, my mother, the the, the Lehmans are Irish. Okay, Irish Catholic drunks, basically. (laughs) And all four brothers were alcoholics, including my dad, okay? On my mother's side, the Norwegians and Swedes. My middle name's Anderson. You know the difference between a dumb Swede and a dumb Norwegian? Not much. (laughs) But anyway, my mother had these... uh, these old Christmas tree ornaments that came from the old country with her mother. And I hated those suckers. I liked the kind you got at the five and ten cent store, those gold ones and the red ones. And I remember having my little, I had a BB gun, pistol. You cocked it like this. And if I would just aim just right from the bottom of the stairs, I could pop off those Christmas tree ornaments. And I remember my mother coming down one morning and she was just sobbing because her favorite ornament was shattered. And I commented the cat did it. This is the person you brought to speak at Erie First. And I tell you that there's there's hope in Jesus Christ because he changes lives. But I think of some of the things I do today as an adult. I'm a changed man. I came to know Christ because people, along life's way, cared enough to confront me with the truth, the truth, that God loves us despite our stupidity. Isn't that a great thought on this Sunday? He loves us even though we're dumb as mud on times. Well, this little book, Have a New You by Friday, is all about that. How many of you know where Kane, Pennsylvania is? Okay. Down in Kane, Pennsylvania in 1920, there was a guy named Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane, out of Summit Hospital, and he was one of the first, or the first, to really experiment with local anesthetic, okay? And he tried to find some volunteers to operate on. He couldn't find one. You know what he did? He operated on himself. He took his own appendix out. Is that cool or what? But that's what i ask people to do and have a new, have a new you by friday is do a little self-examination because it's not rocket science folks that you're who you are today as pastor pointed out some of you are out there in la-la land he didn't quite say it in those terms but you don't let go of the past you see yourself as the old when christ comes in your life you are renewed you're new you're a new creature in christ does that mean that, that past, that, that carnal self isn't close by. It's close by. It's like eating a pizza on Saturday night. And three hours later, the, peaches, the pizza's been devoured for hours. But guess what? You can still taste the pizza. And some of us live lives like that. And we let that aftertaste dominate who we are. Well, it's sort of interesting. The one thing I try to point out in this book is, you know what? If you're like most of us, you believe lies, lies about yourself. I start the book off talking about the uh, temperaments. Now, if you ever read a book on the temperaments, you know what a sanguine is or a phlegmatic. I would ever hate to call Pastor Jack a phlegmatic. It sounds like he needs to go see an ear, nose, and throat specialist. I mean, what a name, phlegmatic or sanguine. Sounds like you belong in a Freddie the 13th movie. Or a choleric. But it's interesting. You know, the sanguines are the fun-loving types. Well, I had to cover that in the book, but I had a hard time with the term sanguine, so I call them Yorkies. (laughs) I took dogs. Dog personality types. And some of you are Yorkies. you never met a stranger. you always got a smile on your face. You're waiting for the party to happen. In fact, you're middle name might be let's party and others of you are powerful clerics you're the ones that know how to do things just right which means your way i call you the great danes and you you're the overachiever you're the one that can't do enough and then of course there's the melancholies and these are the guys where the grass is always greener on the other side okay They're the great shoulders in life. They're always shoulding on other people. You should do this, you should do that. You know what? God doesn't should on you and me. He simply says, I love you, and I want you to follow me and love me. And I call those guys the standard poodles. But when we come to those peaceful phlegmatics, that word I have a problem with, I call them Irish setters. I try to think of a dog that would remind me of, can't we just on and along? And so many of you, of women, are what I call pleasers. I've written books on the subject. And you know, when it rains at the family reunion, it's your fault, because you picked the date. You're the guilt-gatherers of life. Jesus doesn't want you to go through life gathering guilt. He wants you to be the salt and earth of this life, and go out and make a difference. So, what I ask people to do is figure out that, you know what? You were born with a temperament. And by the way, there's longitudinal studies where shrinkies, who like research and I don't like research, study the behavior of kids, newborns, in nurseries. 20 years, 10 years later, they follow them up and find out there's a consistency with the temperament they saw when the child was born and when that child was 20 years of age. That's interesting. All of us have, you know, a temperament. Some of you are easygoing by your nature. Some of you have temper problems. Some of you are high-strung. Some of you are manatee-like. I call my wife and our oldest daughter the slug and the manatee. Because they move with such speed. Mid-afternoon for them is about 8 p.m. at night when they go shopping, they go shopping. <laughs> they leave on a Friday to go shopping, by the way. Now, Tucson, where I live, million people. The stores apparently are inferior because they have to go to Phoenix. Three million people. That are stores. Well, they get an early start. They leave about three in the afternoon. Then they stop for a little treat, a little latte. They get up there, get a little, maybe we'll split a salad. Weird. (laughs) I digress. Anyway, on Monday, all I ask the reader to do is take a look at what you were born with, what you came into this earth with. And then Tuesday, it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday laid out book. On Tuesday, I ask them to figure out, you know what, and I've written books on this subject, the birth order book, sold over a million copies. People love the birth order book. Because everybody in this room was born into a family, okay? I want you to think about your family for just a second. Think about the first born in the family and the second born in the family. Hello? East? West? North? South? Cain? Abel? The original title on that book, I love to share this, is, was Abel Had It Coming. The publisher said, you can't have a title like that. I said, why not? It's got a nice family flavor to it. But you know, the truth of the matter is you learned, and see, this is where the lie, this is where the lie really gets generated in your life. And if you were like me, see, I was the baby of the family, okay, and I was Cubby, Cub was my nickname. In fact, I was doing a show in Cleveland called Morning Exchange with a guy named Fred Rosen. I'll never forget it. A guy calls in, he wants to talk to Dr. Cubby. And I said, oh, I don't know who's on the phone, but it's an old friend out of Western New York, I'll bet, and it was. But I was the baby in the family, had the sister, Sally, who just retired. She's a children's pastor, never got a B in her life in anything. She's one of those people who always did things right. She put newspaper under the cuckoo clock, which <laughs> you just never know when that's going to happen. See, her whole thing was an ounce of prevention. We were speaking at a CE, a Christian education uh, meeting of a, of a national denomination, and I was their keynote speaker. And uh, she was doing a workshop at the same thing. We were having breakfast at five minutes to the... Uh, five minutes to ten or five minutes to nine that morning and uh she looked at me and she said, What are you speaking about this morning? And I said, Uh, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> and I wish you could have looked seen the look on her face. I mean it was like What well, what did you say? You don't know what you're speaking about. You're gonna be speaking in just an hour from now. I said, I don't know. I'll look at him and then I'll decide. <laughs> well Two weeks ago, I was up in uh, Toronto doing a a show, the 700, it's the 100 Huntley Street Club. It's like the 700 Club is to the U.S. And the woman was just shocked. She said, you put me in your book. And I, honest to Pete, I didn't know what she was talking about. She said, you talked about doing a national show. And I was sitting there, yeah, I was doing a national show. And the person who was interviewing me had all these very, very one, two, three, four, five outline questions, and you could just see by her handwriting. You know those people who write? They don't write. They couldn't write a sentence if they had to, but they block print. She had block print everything out. I mean, with no margins or everything. I mean, you could have you could have set a building according to how straight that those lines were. And I looked at them, and and this just gives you some insight into who I am. I grab her notes out of her hand as she starts the interview. I said, oh, you don't need these, as I crumpled them up, and I threw them over my shoulder. Well I put that in the book. I didn't realize, because you forget those things, I mean literally I've done thousands of shows. I don't remember who that was, I just remember doing it, so I put it in the book. And, and she just thought that was the coolest thing, that I put that in her book. And so she showed me that she only had seven questions. She was so proud of that fact. But see, there's people like that. You know who you are. You go through life like this. It's sort of like you're going off a press guy you're looking for the (laughs) drop-off. Because why? You don't want to make a mistake. That's how you go through life. You're so cautious. And there's others of us who just dive in. Now sometimes, in fact, just this... This past week, a young man from Pennsylvania lost his life diving in that lake out there, jumping off of a cliff. See, sometimes people like me who jump in there and ask questions later, that's not always the smartest way to live your life. I bought a used car once in the driveway. Never started the car. Never. I knew. I told my wife, Mrs. Uppington. I said, that is a great used car. I opened the trunk. My father always taught me, open the trunk, Kevin, look inside the trunk, if it's clean, it's a good car. It had a great, great clean trunk, and I bought that sucker. Unfortunately, it had a lousy engine. (laughs) A great trunk, but a lousy engine. Well, that's how some of us are. But see, I followed Sister Sally in the birth order, who was perfect, okay? She still is, I'm telling you. Everything the woman, she's an artist. She can draw. She's lovely. She's, I mean, she's a great sister. She's like a second mother to me in many ways. Okay? But don't throw her a curveball. She wants to know what's coming. Okay? Then there was my brother, Jack. And he was the quarterback of the football team, voted best looking, and all those kind of things they used to do years ago. And then there was me. Well, see, the lie I believed was the smart ones in the family were older brother and sister. Now, I wonder what lie you believe about yourself this morning. See, if you believe in Satan's great power, that's where he gets rooted in your life. By you believing that somehow you're not worth it. And see, the problem is that some of you had parents who what? Told you you weren't worth it. Or they were always shooting on you and always telling you you could have done better. It might have been their way of trying to motivate you, but it wasn't received well in your life because you go through life starting a lot of projects and never finishing them. In fact, you see this with young kids all the time. They'll start projects and then they'll shut down. In fact, it's very typical for a young kid to draw a picture and tear it up before your eyes and tell you it's no good. Well, there's the budding perfectionist. And so that's the kind of stuff you want to avoid. And see, for some of you, and I start this book off saying this book ought to cost $199. Because some of you will go see a shrink for two twenty-five a pop. You know, I used to laugh because when I was in private practice, I finally retired from that. I'd tell people, hey, if you're here and think I'm going to hold your hand through life for a year, you're at the wrong place. But if you've got some problems, let's find out what they are. Let's roll up our sleeves together and get to work on it today. Now notice that we start working when? Today. When do diets start? Tomorrow. Perry. Pass me that cheesecake with you, sweetheart. See, it's easy to say you're going to start next week or whatever. And see, that's the lie we tell ourselves. And we never get any place. And yet, you can, you can be moving your hands in the swimming pool of life and kicking your feet, and you're going to look like you're really moving forward. But I got news for you. When you look at your life objectively, you're not going any place. I know life doesn't always come, you know, the way you want it to come. I know that, you know, being a Christian doesn't always set you up for everything perfect in life. You're gonna have some rough times. And some of you, anybody in this economy is going through some rough times. I don't care who you are. Obama's in my back pocket and won't leave. There he is again. But I'll tell you, if you look, look at your family, go back to your family, and, and give a word that describes your older brother or sister. What's their personality? What would you call them? Describe them. Maybe they're the athlete, the scholar, the the yehu, the, the lazy one, the overachiever. If you look at your family and see how everybody comes out of that little den, notice all the little cubs come out differently. Now, that's the miracle that Almighty God could make us all different. I live on Chautauqua Lake in the summertime, and the ducks come out. They come up on the front lawn, and I buy cracked corn. I throw it out there, which really invites them to come. And you know what? These ducks, they all look alike. All the mother ducks look alike. And they got these little babies. I mean, you know, they bring them up, and we go, oh, there's mommy of eight, mommy of seven, mommy of nine, mommy of ten, and they come up. Do you think they could get along? No. You ever see a duck when he gets mad? They lower their shoulders like this, and they go after each other. They pull each other's tail feathers out and everything else. But you know what's amazing to me? They know whose kid is who. In other words, mother of eight doesn't trade four in with mother of nine. <laughs> and Almighty God knows each of us. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows when the sparrow falls. And he's, he's got something in store for you if you'll what? Flip that switch. But see, back to what Pastor Jack said earlier. If you're, gonna, if, if you're always going to have the excuse, life has been unfair to me, I was abused, I was this, I was that, I got news for you, you're never going to go anywhere. There's a time to grow up. There was no gray-haired school teacher in my senior year uh, who was somewhere between estrogen and death. <laughs> and she pulled me aside and she said, Kevin, she said, have you ever thought that maybe you could use these skills you have for something positive in life. Well, that was step one of my turning my life to Christ. That was the first time a teacher ever said to me, I had skills. Now, my mother, God love her, she prayed for me every day of my life, I'm here to tell you. But it was her and my wife, you know, after I got thrown out of college, got a job as a, in a men's room as a, you know, as a, a janitor, and I worked in a hospital, and uh, that's where I met my wife. I'm, I actually met her in the men's restroom, which is sort of interesting. But, but she was the one that gently, gently, when, I, when she met me, I mean, I had a cap front tooth, okay, cap front tooth, that had, had worn through. So I had a spot right in the middle of my front tooth. I mean, I was a looker. <laughs> had a steel gray uniform. Okay, with a cross, broom, and a mop. I don't make these things up. (laughs) You talk about self-esteem. Whoa. Cross, broom, and a mop. Making $195 a month full time. But she saw something in me. And see, God sees all kinds of things in you and me that make it worth it. He died on that cross for you and I. I was sharing with Pastor Jack this morning. I've got a book coming out, not until 2013, that I'm so excited about. I wish it was coming out tomorrow, because I'd love to tell you about it. But in that book, I reference Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is Jesus' thoughts on that cross, and uh, written by King Solomon. Now, if you're a non believer here this morning, smoke this. Those words were written 1,000 years before Jesus hung on that cross by King Solomon. Whoa. See, that's the same Jesus who all of a sudden on that Easter morning when when the stone was rolled away and the disciples were gathered together in fear of their very life behind closed doors. All of a sudden, what happened? Jesus standing in their midst. Let me just say one thing about that. Shazam. <laughs> Behind locked doors, and he appeared. That's, that's the Jesus we sang praises to this morning, folks. The same supernatural one, who doors and locks meant nothing. And he believes in you and me. Now that's incredible. Incredible. That's incredible that the creator of the universe in the flesh could believe in you and I and believe that we could do His will on this earth. Are we going to do His work perfectly? No. If you're hung up on perfection, you'll never do what God wants you to do. He just wants you to do a good job. So we're put here on this earth for a reason. Pastor Jack said today, you're not here. Really, on your own volition. Some of you are here. This is going to be the beginning of the rest of your life. Well, you're going to stop playing games with Almighty God. And you're going to say, Lord, you got me. I'm yours. In this book I'm so excited about, I have a chapter called, Lord, you're the potter. I'm the clay. But I do have a few suggestions. And, and that's how some of us are. You know, we, we just think we know better than our Maker. And the reality is, if you want to make it in life, you've got to be submissive to His will. So in Wednesday part of this book, I simply say, you know what? Let's think about something fun for just a second. Think of your early childhood memories. What do you remember about yourself as a kid? Give me that little glimpse, that little, I remember the time that or the day that. I would like everybody right now just to think about that. What's your earliest childhood memory? Now some of you, let me just tell some of you what you just thought of. This is sort of freaky. Some of you just remember the time you fell off your bike and cut your knee open. Some of you just remembered that you didn't follow the rules and you got in trouble. Okay? Some of you remembered you got a star or praise for achievement. Some of you remember height, where you're up looking down or down, looking up. Now, for the record, those are firstborn memories, for the most part. In fact, where you are in your family will help determine what kind of memories you're going to remember. Us babies of the family are most likely to remember surprises. Birthdays, Christmas, presents. It's all about me. (laughs) Scripture says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. It's true, very true. But see, your memories are a microcosm of how you see life. Why do you remember those things? Of the hundreds of thousands, millions of things that have happened in your life, why would you remember that little incident? Because it's consistent with how you view life. Want to have some fun? Want to start a family argument? Sit around the dinner table some night and share your early childhood memories. And notice that some of you have the same memory. But notice you don't report the memory the same way, do you? And this goes back. To the wonder of God, and back to those ducks that come up. I sit in the first seat of an airplane, always, because I'm claustrophobic. Seems to me I should see a shrink. <laughs> but I notice people coming on, and I love to people watch, and notice everybody that gets on the plane looks different. How did God, in His incredible, majestic way, make all of us look different? Why don't we all look like those ducks? But yet those ducks, those mother ducks can tell the differences, the individual differences. So if you wrote yourself off and said, hey, I'm a nobody, life's not going for me, I've lost my job, I don't have a future, I've got this and that, you know what, you're selling God short. Not only are you selling yourself short, you're a unique person. So chances are, if you you really ask yourself, what I'd like different in life, I guess what I'm saying is that that could be yours if you're willing to do what it takes to do some changing in your life. But these lies that we tell, I call it our private logic. I only count in life when I dominate, when I control, when I win. Do you know people like that? I only count in life when I'm the victim. Oh, woe is me. You know, I only count in life when I please other people. Some people go crazy just trying to make everybody in life happy. In a book that's coming out in the fall called Have a New Teenager by Friday, I asked parents, what do you do when a kid slams the door? Now, what do you do, parents, if teenagers, when your kid slams the door and goes storming off to the room? You know what most of you say? Hey, don't you slam the door in this house, young man. I'm telling you right now, you don't like the way it is there's the highway. Blah, blah, blah. You get into it right away. You know a smart way of handling something like that? You've got to understand something about teenagers, okay? Number one, they're weirder than weird itself. <laughs> and the hormones are changing in their body daily. But my suggestion to parents is say, Hey, excuse me, honey, excuse me. Uh, wh- what did that slam door mean? Did that mean you're sick of living in this uh, four-bedroom home with uh, color TV and wireless and three meals a day served? And laundry service provider. Is that what that means, honey? Just checking. Don't go looking for trouble. There's a way of dealing with things differently. What I'm challenging people to do is to understand that these lies that we tell ourselves are what's holding you back. It's holding you back. But see, when I was a young kid, I only caught in life when I got other people to pay attention to me. Why? because I wasn't getting attention in standard ways with school and stuff. My sister was the head of the cheerleaders. She was the captain of the cheerleaders. So she made her youngest brother, that would be me, the billy goat mascot. I was the mascot. There was a, there was a black, heavy letters. I'd love to find it. I've been looking for it for years. On the school paper, a headline that said, Demon Lehman wins half-time bout with Amherst Tiger. I was eight years old at the time, and someone egged me on, apparently, and said, go after the mascot, the other team's mascot. Well, I went after them and ripped their tail off it. Again, we brought some poor speakers to this church, but more evidence <laughs> right there. I mean, I'm laughing at myself. I remember doing a cheer and screwing up the emotions. Okay? Basket, basket, score, 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 Williamsville Central, we want more. I mean, I'm near death, I still remember that. But I remember, I remember looking up, to, here's the clearest part of the memory, looking up and watching everybody laugh. And I remember, I remember as an eight-year-old kid thinking, this isn't so bad. When I go to New York and do The Viewer, one of those shows, my goal in life is do you hear the jaded cameraman laugh? I've been doing Fox and Friends a lot with those guys. By the way, I'm in love with Gretchen Carlson, but don't tell Mrs. Upington. Um, lately, and again, if I hear the Fox crew laughing in the background, here I am, a, a man on Social Security, and I'm telling myself, "You did a good job, Lehman." Why? Because I made people laugh. Always wear wild socks. Take a look. Now, that, that is simply, simply the aftermath of what I grew up with, where I saw myself as what? Only counting in life when the center of attention. Now, can you use humor positively? Can you use humor negatively? See, it can be all about you. I had this conversation with the Lord a good 25 years ago. I said, Lord, I got it. I got it. You gave me the gift of humor. Use it, and use it for the right reason. So that's what I try to do. I try to make the teachings. I mean, some of the books I write, they're downright serious books. But I try to make them fun so they go down a little easier. I mean, if my wife said, hey, honey, I want you to come here to speaker or to speak, I'm going to find 12 things I have to do, to tell you the truth, because that's not my cup of tea. Now, if I know it was Pastor Jack speaking, I'd show up. I'd wear my Sunday best. And this is my Sunday best, by the way. Oh, I'm out of time. Oh, wow. Oh, and that was, that, that was really important. Oh, I'm, in, I'm always in trouble for something. I think I got caught up with myself here. <sighs> well, how do we bring that to a close? <laughs> well, let me say this. A, a, a lot of you that struggle, struggle because you compare yourself to other people. And the, the the fact of the matter is there's nobody like you on this earth. You, you just need to be the person you are. If you're going to get your hung up on yourself and say, well, you know, If I could only be like that sweet Pam. She's such a woman of faith. Um, Oh, and by the way, I almost forgot. September 21st, I'm coming back here to Erie to Hammett has a woman's dinner at the Ambassador. September twenty-one, it's not even public yet because I just signed the contract last week. But I'll be back here doing sorts for women only, no men in dresses, please. Uh... And actually, I think I'm, I'm talking on that same topic at that, so we'll see. Maybe I'll get it right next time. I got you through Wednesday, but Thursday and Friday are really important, so i gonna have to figure that out soon. But you know, the fact of the matter is, this isn't rocket science. Either God is who He says He is, or He's not. Do you believe? I remember that little picture my mom had on my— she had two plaques on my wall, both of my dislike by the way and both of them are very close to my heart to this day but one of them showed jesus knocking at the door and the thing that was so profound about that little picture was what there's no handle on the outside of the door in this book i shared with pastor jack this morning it's coming out a few years from now 2013 i've got a chapter called jesus ain't the big bad wolf and some of us live our life like he's the big, bad wolf. He's going to huff and puff and blow your door down. I got news for you. That's not how Jesus operates. That door has to be open from the inside. Some of you have been playing games for God for way too long. You could be an elder in this church, and not, you may not be in, in, in heaven when you pass away. You could have been a head usher. You could have been this. You could have been this important position. I got news for you. If you haven't made that decision in your life to fork everything over and we make deals with god i'm yours lord you know all ninety four percent got to admit lord that's fair that's not a deal from god's perspective he wants you to love him with what all of your heart some of you need to make that decision today and stop wasting time treading water in a pool of life are you going to do it perfectly i hope i've communicated that to you you're not but the good news is the creator of the universe loves you and me You tell me what could be better than that thought on this Sunday morning. I better say goodbye and God bless you.